our reading from Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. On the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you will be blameless and pure, children of God without any fault. But you are living with evil people around you who have lost their sense of what is right. Among those people, you shine like lights in a dark world, and you offer them the teaching that gives life. So I can be proud of you when Christ comes again. You will show that my work was not wasted, that I ran in the race and won. For your, your faith makes you give your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. Maybe I will have to offer my own life with your sacrifice. But if that happens, I will be glad and I will share my joy with all of you. You also should be glad and share your joy with me. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the season you have our church in. And I just ask in this moment, Lord, that you will go before me. You know what they've came in with, what is on their hearts and what they need to hear from you, Lord. And so I just ask that you speak to each and every one of us, myself included. In your name we pray, amen and amen. So I, I have commitment issues. Any, am I like alone there? Anybody have like commitment issues? No, okay, whatever. Um, I know that it's weird hearing me if you know me say that because you know that I'm married. And it's like, how'd you get there? <laughs> but I do. In general, I have commitment issues, a, a part of my personality. Uh, on the Enneagram, I test as a seven. Myers-Briggs, I taste, test as an ENFP. Um, my birthday's coming up in February. That means my sign is the cross, okay? Got you guys. you like, excuse me. Um, no, but overwhelmingly, I have, I have ADHD. Uh, I don't claim it unless it serves me, but uh, I have ADHD. So I'm, I am like so, I'm just like so good at starting things. Like if you need someone to start a project, I am your guy. I will show up. Like you got a brand new thing, like let's do it. What do you need done? But I got like about three weeks. And then I, like, I, I need another project. I need, I need a new commitment. And so I have, like, not so much commitment issues, but, like, following through on my commitments, you know. Uh, it's funny because I'm laughing at myself. Preparing for this very message, uh, today I went. Matt is going to be my witness because you were there with me. I made myself a cup of coffee. This is how bad I am at finishing things. 30 minutes later, we are here in worship. I'm like, where? Didn't I make myself a cup of coffee? Completely forgot that I made myself a cup of coffee. Never brought it into the church. Hadn't drank it. Thankfully, I went out to the lobby, and it was there. Literally, like, just forgot. I was so good at starting the cup of coffee. It's talking to Matt. And then, you know, like, two distractions later, I am here in worship. I'm like, God, you're so good. Speaking of good, where's my coffee? I'm like, I'm like the guy. If you want to start projects... I will be there. If you, need, if you need me to help you move, I will help you move. But if it takes longer than a day, I may be somewhere else. 
I may be off to a new project. I may have gotten distracted. I get so distracted so easily. And I think that's part of why I struggle to commit. And now you guys left me hanging, but I feel like, like it's New Year's. We're like in the third week of New Year's. So I'm going to put this back on you guys. How's your New Year's resolutions going? Okay. That was smart, Yvette. Just didn't make them. You just, Yvette said, I fixed the problem. I don't commit. <laughs> you know, like, our, I, I think this is a human trait. I think I'm an exceptional example of it. But, you know, Pastor Rowe, I think, has tried every diet that exists. And I think we all have been there with where you start a diet and you're so good at starting. And, like, the first week, like, you feel good. You're like, oh, my pants fit better. And then you get comfortable because you went down a size. So you're like, you know what? I could treat myself to some hog and <laughs> And so we're so good at starting, but it becomes so, so difficult to finish. And I, I share this. I share about uh, commitments because, one, I think we are in the new year. And this is usually the year where we're like, new year, new me. And we're so good at committing and starting and you know, month, week one, week two, week three, month one, month two, those commitments start to fade. And I, and I think that with the heart of this series that we want to have 2020 vision for all, all of 2024, for this entire year. We don't want what we, we say and what we believe God shares with us to feel charged up. But then June rolls around, you know. And it can so easily feel like we've just gotten into complacency. And I share that because what I want to share with you guys today as I talk is not necessarily points to a message. See, I believe that this community, Christ Uncensored, is filled with people um, who believe that God has a purpose in their lives. I believe that this community is filled with people who are ready to rise up and rise to the standard and to the call that God has on their lives. And the fact of the matter is I've just seen it be evident. And, and what I'm sharing here and what I want to share with you guys, uh, because I believe that we are so all in, so many of us are so all in on rising up to wherever God calls us. But in my own human life, I have experienced that sometimes that feels easier said than done. Like this year, this year, I'm going to have no arguments. My marriage is going to be the best marriage. This year, you know what? I'm going to let them cut me off in traffic. This year, you know what? If someone cuts me in line, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to let them be mean. And very quickly, you find that that is so much easier said then done. And what I want to teach us today is what I believe that as we are in this season of rising up, I want to talk to us about the art of rising up. How do we step into a mindset and how do we commit to principles that will enable us to rise up to what God is calling us to? In Philippians, there's this line, Philippians 16, he says, He's talking to this church and he says, you offer them the teaching that gives life so I can be proud of you when Christ comes again. 
you will show that my work was not wasted, that I ran the race and won. And I, I just, I'm trying to enter into the mindset of this writer. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Philippi. And it seems as though it, at the face of his possible death, many of uh, Paul's letters, he's like, I might die, just so you know. Like, this may be the last one. He is charging them and entrusting them almost with his legacy, right? And so you read this and he says, you, you church, are the testament to show that my work was not wasted, that I ran the race and won. And I hear it, and I can't help but hear it as if uh, uh, Paul is admonishing them and challenging them. After all that he said in Philippians 2, to rise up to the task that is ahead of them. And for the early church, what they faced was lots and lots of persecution for the sake of the gospel. And as a, as a pastor of this house, I can honestly say that I relate to Paul. As, for, as a matter of fact, Ro and I were just talking about, you know, just the burdens of, of pastoring. And it's, it's just so you know, it's not the most lucrative job. <laughs> and and the, the struggle that that can be financially. But what we've always known and the, the, the leadership in this church has always known is that this community is what makes it all worth it. That seeing lives transformed uh, and, and elevated and, and achieve their purpose is what makes it all worth it. That seeing people rise to the standard and to the call that God has for them makes it all worth it. And I think that this is the season that we are in. We are in a season where when we look back on 2024, so many of us are going to be proud of one another. So many of us will enter into this place like, you remember that person? That they were new? You remember I invited, you know, I invited that person on Friends and Family Sunday and they came and now look, because we have, we will have begun to rise up and accept the vision and the mission that God is calling us to. I believe that for us. And so what I want is to empower you guys and enable you guys. Uh, to participate in Paul's vision and God's vision for this church um, in the same way that it was for Philippi. I, I think that it exists for Christ Uncensored. It is to rise up. Like I said, rising up is easier said than done. And so these are the things that I think are not points, but are, if you would humor me, commitments that we need to make to ourselves. And I, I believe we don't have to jump all across the Bible, although the Bible is fully uh, in agreement with some of this. I believe right in this text that we shared, we see it. And so in verse 14, it says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Don't look at people right now. <laughs> this is not the time. As a matter of fact, if you're married, sit on the other side right now. I'm kidding. John, can I get a bottle of water? Sorry, I, I did end up needing it. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you will be blameless and pure. Children of God without any fault. Before I step into the commitment, here is what Paul is challenging his church to do. To do everything. What things? 
everything without a complaint. To do everything without arguing. And I became curious because I wanted to make sure I was doing justice to the translation about what words Paul was specifically using. And the word for complain, this actually messed up my message because I was ready to come at like complaining. Part of that is, um, you know, I grew up with a mom that complained a lot. And, I, you know, I think sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm just trying to get, get to her. No. Um, but this is the kind of complaining. It is this word, gongusmas. Gongusmas. I say it with a Spanish accent because that's how I pronounce it. Today, today Mayling was talking about our community group. She kept saying Max Lucado. He's a white guy. <laughs> Aren't they all to Latinos? We just adopt. Emily's honorary Latina. Um, and so gangusmas actually means, uh, this is the word that he's using for complaint. It means a secret displeasure. See, I was ready to come at the open complainers. <laughs> but this is, this is so much more insidious. This is the kind of complaining that is kept secret. It is not openly avowed. Another way that it is used, we're talking about the usage of, the, of this word all throughout Scripture, the Greek usage. Uh, it is a hidden judgment. So right now, if you are Latina or Latino, I probably came for everybody in the room because Hispanic culture is hidden judgment. That is what we do. You know, one of my brothers comes and he's like, hey, you know, this happened. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I call up, bro. Yo, did you hear about folks? Did you hear what he's doing? That's crazy. I told him. No, I told him not to. I told him. But to fall, I'm like, yeah. Nah, yeah, nah, I get it. Yeah, you know, you got to follow your heart. Um, <laughs> Was that too per <laughs> I'm going to let you guys process because I'm sure I've opened up a lot of filing cabinets. It's like, wait, the hidden ones too? Argue. I was ready to come for argument, but it is this word, dialogismus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that one. I didn't practice it as much. But what it means and how it's used is... A deliberating, deliberating, questioning about what is true. Hesitation and doubtfulness. When he says do everything without complaining or arguing, he's saying do everything without these hidden judgments in your heart. Do everything that you do without doubting the truth. And this word, whatever, um, you say it. Um, it has, within biblical usage, it also has this word. This, it's also used to translate as this muttering. Many times when Jesus is checking the Pharisees, it's because they were muttering among themselves. And that word is the same word here. They were dialogismas. They were muttering. They were secretly doubting the very truth that was in front of them and how true can that be for us still to today? We have fallen in love with muttering. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a mutter lover. 
It is so easy. It is, man, let me tell you, it is so easy for me to catch myself complaining and complaining and just before I even realize. And it's things that I would never say to a person. And, and maybe sometimes I've worked through it. And because I think I've worked through it, then I don't have to deal with it. But Paul is saying the standard is in everything. In everything, don't secretly complain. Don't allow doubt to corrupt your life. And here's why it matters. I think that this is my first point, but it's probably the most powerful. I think this is probably one of the biggest weaknesses to a Christian community in rising up. It can become so easy to complain about the little things. I don't even care about the big things. Complain about the big things. I don't think those are as detrimental as the little ones. So I think the little ones have this way of just kind of sticking with you. Uh, um, my wife, Amanda, has this quote. I think you invented it, babe. I don't know. It's hers now. Um, it's actually from a statistical finding that people often get more sick in the drizzle than they do a storm. Because you underestimate the drizzle. And so I think it's those little complaints. Those little nagging thoughts that we give life to and we, because they're little, we underestimate them. I think that that can be so detrimental to a community that's being called to rise up. And this is a scriptural finding because Israel was in the desert for 40 years because all they did was complain. Like all they did, you got saved from slavery from Egypt and you're telling God you should have just left us. But they were the people that were called to rise up, to be the chosen nation. But constant grumbling and muttering is what held them back. And I think that we need to be a church that says we're done with, we're done with the muttering. We're done with the complaining. Like, I refuse to let our purpose, church, can I tell you that your purpose, be selfish here, your purpose your calling, what God has called you to do. I do not believe Christ Uncensored is the church that is going to have a Stephen Furtick in the name of Rolando Remedios. I believe that Christ Uncensored is going to be one of those churches where so many people are making a difference and so many people are known. Where every single one of us is Christ Uncensored making a difference in Staten Island, one day the tri-state area, one day the country. And I believe that that's where we are called to rise up, but I think these little complaints can just get in the way. Amanda, I want to use, I'm just going to steal her content today, I'm sorry. She's like, you're taking all my preaching illustrations. <laughs> she often tells a story about how she was driving and her car just was making this crazy noise and she had to take it to the mechanic. It wasn't working and what happened and that was causing such destruction in this car, this vehicle, was a tiny pebble stuck in the brake pad. And I just think complaints can be the thing that slows down the vehicle of Christ Uncensored. Jesus says the gates of hell cannot stand against the advancement of the kingdom of God. Here's what I think can slow down the kingdom of God. Our doubtfulness. 
our complaints are because they cause you to step back and prevent you to move forward and rise up. And they cause you to dwell. I've never seen someone moving fast on mission and complaining. Usually, you, you feel stuck. I've been there. Usually, when you're in the, if you go to the extreme of it, you just feel immobile. But in order to do this, my first commitment, I, I asked myself, can I tell the church, we commit to not complaining? I think complaint is the symptom. What I, what I asked myself and as I, I prayed, I, I, I said, what opens the door to complaint? And I believe it's our egos. I think that in order to complain, you have to have a sense of entitlement and a lack of gratitude in order to complain about the thing that is in front of you. And so the first commitment for us to say together today is we commit from this day forth, church, we commit to wage war on our egos. We commit. Forget the enemy. I promise you this. If you wage war on your, on your ego, the enemy will have no ammunition. And so can we say this? If you are down to rise up and to enter into a season where you rise up and, and are done with complaint and argument and muttering and doubting, can we say this on three? One, two, three. We commit to wage war on our egos. Can you... Say it to yourself. You have permission to mutter. Just, I commit. Just talk to yourself for a second. Talk to God. Like, Lord, I commit. And as you're there, ask yourself, like, where is my ego active? Where is my ego giving access? We commit to wage war. And I use this word, wage war, because there ought to be such intentionality. Like, if I got to go to therapy, I'm going to therapy. If I got to watch a thousand YouTube videos on how to die to self, I will. If I have to meditate, if I have to just <gasps> I will. Because I don't want there to be a place for my ego to have access. Why? Because if I let my ego live, I open the door to complaint and I will find myself stuck in stagnation. He goes on to say, but you are living with evil people all around you who have lost their sense of what is right. Among those people, I heard Angie go, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's because she takes, <laughs> I know your commute to work, Angie. That's a lot of people you got to go past. <laughs> a lot of people. I used to take the ferry to work. I get you. I was just like, man, this is too many people to be around. But you are living with evil people around you who have lost their sense of what is right. And in this backdrop, he says, it is among those people that you shine like lights in a dark world. And you offer them the teaching that gives life. I can be so proud of you. I can be proud of you when Christ comes again. He says, there is evil all around you. And I, I don't read the news because of this, right? We are in a time where we are so aware of how toxic society and culture has become outside, out, our, outside these doors. There is so much perverseness. But in the midst of this backdrop, Paul says that this is where we shine like lights 
in a dark world. And we have the opportunity here. We offer them the teaching that gives life. What you possess, church, is so, so valuable. You possess the teaching that gives life. You possess the power of transformation. You possess the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so sharing with others, you are letting light out into a world that is dark. And I think we know how powerful that is. Because I look around the room and I I see the majority of people here are people who have placed their faith in Jesus already. Is there a room full of people who've placed their faith in Jesus? And so you know what it was. I I love that we sang that song, You Have Been So Good to Me. How many testimonies do we have that you know what you came from, you know what you came out of, you know where you were, you were the, you weren't living with people around you, you were in the midst of that evil, you were in the midst of that darkness, you were in the midst of that pain, but then you encountered Jesus, you encountered someone who offered the teaching of life, you encountered someone who offered light in your dark world and here you are today. Is that true for you? There are people out there waiting for us to offer it to them. And if we want to rise up, I'm going to get to this next commitment a little bit quicker. We have to commit to light the way for others. Pastor Rowe often quotes this, stealing everybody's stuff today. He says, if you want to go faster, go alone. But if you want to go further, go together. And so we can take this light and we can light it up for ourselves, but I don't think that that would be rising up to what God is calling us to do. Because all throughout scripture, and I just think all throughout God's will, is to call a people together as one. And I think that we need to make this commitment that we will be the light for others. And why that's important is because oftentimes when we are surrounded by darkness, I've been here, the darkness distracts me. And I find myself asking God to deliver me from the darkness, deliver me from the toxic co-workers, deliver me from the rude people, deliver me from the frustrating people. And I think in those moments I'm distracted because maybe I was put in that place that feels so dark, that feels so hopeless, that feels so frustrating because I possess light. And we are in a culture that cares so much about people's vibes. Like, nah, I got a bad vibe from them. But you're the good vibe. You're the light. You're there to show them. You're there to offer them hope. You're there to be different. You're there to annoy them with your frustrating positivity and hope. Like, whoa. Why, when I talk to this person, they don't act like everybody else? Frustrate them with your kindness. Frustrate them with your love. Frustrate them with the teaching that offers life. And not in a way, because there are Christians that will weaponize the gospel. Right? Mm-mm, the Bible says, I am blessed and highly favored. So you're not going to ruin my day, boo-boo. That's too much light. 
It's too much light. We are called to be people that just get along with others, that have compassion for the people. Like, I want to be, and I say this knowing that the challenge is difficult. I want to be the kind of person that the nastiest person, the rudest person in the room that everybody stays away from is my best friend. They're like, Ruben, how do you, how, how do you get along with them? How do you? Because in that moment, you've created access. And who knows why that person's rude? Who knows what trauma, what brokenness? They don't got Jesus. And maybe they do. But they may need more Jesus. <laughs> And you, I love the word there that is offer. You, every encounter with you, I want you to see this this way. Every encounter with you that a non-believer has is an opportunity. Every time someone encounters you, you are their opportunity. You are their moment. You are the piece of their testimony. This one time, I'll never forget this one day, this person, I don't know what it was. Man, I used to not get along with them. Man, I, they used to frustrate me and I used to frustrate them. Oh, but then one day they just, they were so patient. They were so kind. They were so loving in a moment of brokenness for me. And you know what? The reason I was so toxic was because of what I was dealing with but they just loved me. And then they shared with me the gospel. One day they invited me to church. We have to commit to light the way for others because when you are committed to lighting the way for others, it will catch you in those moments of distraction when your, your mind turns on itself. It's like, oh, look what's happening to me. Look at what they're doing to me, these evil people. Like, no, no, no. But what can I do? What can I offer? How can I change? When we commit to light the way for others, and when we commit to this, I promise you this, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time living for me. But when I think about others, when I commit like, oh, my life is going to save this person, my life is going to lead to this, it really calls me to rise up to a different standard. And I think there's a lot of parents in this room. Isn't there something about kids that make you want to be better than you want to be on your own? I think, I think if we catch this, that there is a dark world depending on me to shine light, it will inevitably cause me to rise up. Can we say this commitment together? On three. One, two, three. We commit to light the way for others. We commit to light the way for others. The close of this section, he says, your faith makes you give your lives as a sacrifice in serving God. Maybe, there Paul goes again, maybe I will have to offer my own life with your sacrifice. But if that happens, I will be glad and I will share my joy with all of you. You also should be glad and share your joy with me. This text, although it's brief, is a glimpse into uh, Paul's mind. Because very often, 
Paul's saying, I might die. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to try to meet up with you guys. But I might die. I don't know. I'm going to send Timothy because I might not make it. So often, there's, when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain, he's literally, it, that's not a metaphor. He's like, no, if I live, thank God. But if I die, that's awesome too. <laughs> like he is constantly in this I might die place. But wherever Paul is, uh, he talks about at times just such hardships that him and his crew were facing, him and his uh, people that were traveling with him. But every time, almost every time, like imagine I text you guys. Imagine here, I go, hey guys, I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, something might happen. Like, this is a serious thing. He says, or he talks about in this letter, he says, but could you share in my joy? Would you share in this joy that if I am put to death for the sake of the gospel, that that is something we ought to rejoice about? That you already are making sacrifices. This community has already sacrificed their lives. Like, when you study church history and even modern day history in places that are not America or, or in other countries, it is, we have so much privilege to gather on a Sunday. I saw the wind and the snow today and I was like, should we cancel? You know we have a privilege to think about that? Like we have the privilege to go, ah, do I want to go to church today? Because elsewhere and throughout history it was like, will, I ki will they kill me if I go to church today? And they showed up. Uh, uh, China is big for this. Um, they memorized the Bible in China in, in these prisons. I saw a video, and they were like, well, why do you memorize it? And they were like, because as soon as we get the Bible, they take it away from us. So we have to read it as fast as we can and memorize it because they can't take that away from us. I am struggling to do memory verses. They are this committed. And it is such a privilege. For us to, to just check the ETA, all right, I'm going to get here, right, you know, I'm going to stop at Dunkin' first, and then they don't have that. Paul did not have that. His community did not have that. They gave, it was genuinely a sacrifice. Not like it's a sacrifice to show up to church early. Like, no, it was a genuine sacrifice of their lives because it could be taken from them. But they did it. it says, he says, your faith makes you do this. And they did it with joy. And he says, should I be put to death? Should I be put to death? Would you share in my joy? He says, if that happens, I will be glad. I will share my joy. You also should be glad. Your joy, and share your joy with me. I want us to commit to sharing joy. But the commitment is this, because this is what I see in the life of the early church. They were committed to sharing joy in all circumstances. They were constantly giving praise to God. They were a church movement in the midst of persecution and oppression. And in the midst of these things, Paul would say, share 
joy. In the midst of these things, James would say, consider it joy when you come at trials. Uh, uh, Peter would say that consider it joy because there's going to be a perseverance of your faith. Your faith is going to grow as a result of this oppression. Your your faith is going to grow as a result of this pressure. In all seasons, in all circumstances, find joy. Be joyous. It doesn't say be denial be in denial, and and, and this this situation isn't painful. No, as a matter of fact, use the fact that this is suffering. Use the fact that this is oppressive. Use the fact that this is difficult to share in joy of the sacrifice because your faith is leading you to it. When we rise up, church, (laughs) uh, we and a lot of my Christian friends talk about, like, the stigma that Christianity has, and, and most people will say that, yeah, Christianity is a great religion. Uh, you know, like if you want to feel better about life, you just get to worship God and God will make everything better. I'm like, what Christianity? Sign me up. We are fasting for 21 days in this church. We, we have a church that commits to giving up entire Sundays to serve. We, we, we serve a God that, the last time I checked, calls me to be humble in the face of people cursing me out. A, a, a faith that calls me to die to myself. It is constant sacrifice. And in the midst of this, I mean, the founder of our faith, the son of God, made it possible for us to have relationship with his father through death on a cross. Death on a cross was so painful that it became an adjective. Excruciating. (laughs) It became so painful that it became the standard for high, intense pain in our culture. Jesus suffers this death. And what the writers will later say about this is that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We are people who when God calls us to rise up, it's going to come with sacrifice. It's going to come with schedule changes. It's going to come with intense situations and intense pressure. Uh, Anyone here who's a developing leader, any of our leaders know, like, we don't get, we don't have the privilege of responding to situations that we want to respond to the way that we want to respond to them. There are so many textbook messages. Pastor Ro, how many Facebook comments have you deleted? (laughs) We just don't get to. Not because we don't want to, not because we don't deal with the temptation, but because God has called us to a higher standard, because God has called us to a higher purpose, because there is too much at stake. There is just so much on the line. Other people's lives are on the line here. Uh, What God is trying to do in Staten Island is involved here. And when you know what you are called to do, when you know what God is causing, calling to rise up within you, There's going to be so much sacrifice. And a lot of hustle culture will say, just toughen up. Just step up to the plate. Just grit your teeth and bear it. But I don't think that that's the philosophy of the Bible. Paul somehow was in such awe of Jesus. 
was in such awe of the gospel and the beauty of, of Jesus Christ and the holiness of God and what, who, what and who God was. He says, what is it that makes you sacrifice your lives? Your faith. He was in such awe that he didn't have to grit through prison. He didn't have to toughen up and just <sighs> through being shipwrecked. He just found it joy. He, in other texts, he says that I consider it all meaningless. Everything that I ever found of value, I consider meaningless. And that word meaningless, it's my favorite thing to say, actually means dung, like poop, like crap. We should talk about that for our next handle your ship message. He's like, it's nothing in comparison and in contrast to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we can commit to finding joy because nothing that we will ever have to give up in this world, nothing that we will ever have to surrender compares to the knowledge and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so when the debt collectors come, Easy Pass been hitting me up. It's not even my fault, but when the problems come, when the struggles come, as a result of what it costs to rise up, we can find joy. Because our eyes are not fixed on this world. Our eyes are not fixed on what we're losing. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the finisher, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the beautiful savior, who is the perfect example of giving everything up. He didn't just sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. And our eyes are fixed on him. And so this is our last commitment. Commitment three. We commit to rejoice in all circumstances. Can we say that together? We commit to rejoice in all circumstances. Can we say these three together? Number one, before we, this is the art of rising up. I don't think rising up is a skill or a standard. I think within the Christian life, rising up is an inevitability. Think that within the Christian life, I, I promise you, I know my brother, I know my sister-in-law, I know May, I know M. When you speak to them, there is a compellingness to do this. There is just a, well, well, why did you forgive that person? Because the love of God compels me to. Well, why do you put so many hours in to, to a, a, a ministry that, that doesn't have the funds to pay you necessarily, to, to, to something that pulls you away from your family at times? Why? Because the love of God and what he is calling us to do is what's worth it. I just think that rising up, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus and when you are committed, if you commit to these things, rising up becomes an inevitable way of your life. 
But I think, and I'm in the boat with you guys, with the commitment issues, we've got to make commitments. That if I'm in this life and I want to be someone who rises, Vision Sunday is in just two weeks. But 2024, I mean, Vision Sunday is for for the year, but... 2024 is 365 days, and so we have to commit, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day for the rest of our lives. We have to commit to be who God is calling us to be. And church, like, I could preach an entire message about how much I believe in you, how much this leadership believes in you. Amanda, I'm stealing all your stuff. Amanda often says there are teams that don't exist yet because the people that are in our church haven't birthed them yet. There are missions that don't exist yet because the people have not yet risen up to birth it yet. But one day it will come to pass. And I see you. There are things that Pastor Ruben will never imagine and be able to do. I may start some of them, but I will never be able to do them. There are things that only you can do. That there are visions that God is, you're going to hear from Vision Sunday. And I promise you that God will give you vision within that vision. Oh, here's some ideas on how, how to reach people that I had. Here's, here's ways. And I, there's people that I want to shout out and because you're already walking that path. But I believe in each and every one of you. And what I want 2024 to be when we look back is a year that if there's one thing we can be sure of is that we rose up to the standard that God called us. That we rose up. We let nothing hold us back. We let let nothing slow us down. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I want to be like, my marriage was healed for the sake of the purpose that God was calling us to do. Uh, How did you get through that tough situation? I just knew. God was calling us, and if, and if I allowed that situation, it's not even about how healed I was. It's just about how married to purpose I was, that I just knew that there was just, I have to be good. I have to be okay. I have to get past this. I have to forgive this person. I can't let this shake me. I can't let this mess with my head because there is a purpose. There is a purpose that is bigger and greater than me. Can we say these commitments as we stand? I'm going to say them, then you say them. And honestly, I've been, I've been feeling like I need to say this too. This is for those of you who are committed. I don't know where everybody here is on their journey. You might have just showed up. But like That's a lot, Pastor Ruben. But if you feel as I've been speaking, an inward tug, an inward compelling to rise and to stand and step into what God has for you in 2024 and for Christ uncensored in 2024, this moment would be for you to commit. Because I believe these are what will allow us to rise up. Number one, we commit to wage war on our egos. Number two, 
we commit to light the way for others. Commit to light the way for others. Number three, we commit to rejoice in all circumstances. Here's what I want us to do before we get into worship. And because this moment, I, I really feel like as I was meditating on this message, like this is meant to be more than a moment. You've made those commitments. I would like for you to just take the next 60 seconds, everybody close their eyes and just examine where those commitments need to take place in your life. What are the areas of your life that you need to wage war on your ego? What are the circumstances that you've been allowing to dictate your joy and your emotions and your frustration? Where is the darkness that you have allowed to live for too long but, and forgotten that you are the light in that situation? Where are the people that you are meant to light the way for? Just take the next 60 seconds. Father, I just, I just submit us to you today, Lord. Let this be a year like no other. Let every day be a day in which you remind us of these commitments. Let this be a day that from this day on, we walk forth with purpose, ready to rise to whatever whatever you call us to that if it is you calling us to it we will do whatever it takes because we've walked forward with nothing held held on with nothing holding us back let this be the day that we rise up we rise up to what you are calling us to and if if you're here and you want to place your faith in Jesus, I want to pray with you. We can say this all together uh, online as well. I'm going to say it. You repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Today I am new. In your name I pray. Amen and amen.